Well, um, don't think you're going to be seeing our results from last week's predictions uh, here uh, this week, folks. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see. Just move along. It'll be fine. Coach Cat did well. I mean... <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Eight and three. <laughs> yeah, there is. Like we said, he belongs in the committee for a reason, folks. Okay, get him back in the committee. He went eight and three last week in a difficult yeah. week. Sure did. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, you know, a couple of things we should start here uh, with. First off, uh, the e ECFC, we're not going to do a retrospective mm. like we did with Wesley football, uh, kind of disintegrating, uh, but... Um, you know, it was fun while it lasted. It got, it's got basically until yeah. the end of 2024 season to last. Um, we we watched the uh, cards fall, dominoes fall one by one on this whole thing. Alfred State now to the Empire mm -hmm. 8, Castleton to the uh, Mascac, I believe. Uh, then Anna Maria to the Mascac. Then uh, Dean to the uh, Mascac, so the Mascac got 12 now. Hey, it's the NEFC all over, all over again, easy for me to say. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it, can we get the Boyd and the Bogan divisions again and uh, kind of just restart yeah. from scratch? <laughs> oh, um, you know, we did ask for uh, new names for the Mascac because Massachusetts State College, uh, you know, athletic conference doesn't really apply very well anymore, but um, we'll see what they do with that. They, they've got to figure out how to schedule this thing, and they can't do a full round robin for sure when it comes to 2025. Mm -hmm. Gallaudet, though. I mean, JB, I, you, they have all this news, this national coverage and everything else, and then as they're the you know, celebrating helmet, yeah. their AT&T money uh, and helmet and everything else, um, all of a sudden they're the only team left in the ECFC as of 2025, which is not a good position to be in. Uh, I personally would like to see them in a landmark. I think they belong there. I, I think that they would be foolish not to try to get in there. I think the landmark yeah. would be foolish not to consider them in some format or another. Uh, you know, we, we have our relationships with the landmark. Uh, this is our, just our opinions here and nothing else. Uh, that's where Gallaudet belongs uh, in terms of geography, in terms of school style and type. Um, they, they fit. And I don't think the ODAC's yeah. going to uh, be trying to expand with them. I don't think the NJAC would be able to really. I don't think Gallaudet would want to be in the NJAC, to be honest with you. I don't think the MAC's the right yep. fit. And I don't think being independent in this day and age works. How do you schedule? Nope. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it would be a total crapshoot, especially when you're in D.C. and there's only a sort of a certain amount of radius if you don't want to break the bank traveling to all over the place. I mean, they... In the ECFC, they were traveling pretty far, so this gives them a chance to kind of retrench, maybe sort of reorganize their whole travel schedule. And I think joining a conference like the Landmark makes a lot of sense. It would make the trips relatively easy on both sides and a lot of good synergies there between some of the schools in that conference as well as Gallaudet. Uh, over 40% of you agreed when we put the, con or put the call out for a uh, poll and we had a decent yeah. number of responses in that poll for a short period of time. So uh, I think we're all kind of in agreement. It makes the most sense. Will it happen? Well, it's Division Three football. Who knows? And you know what? It yeah. is Division Three football. We have to talk about week six. What happened? We're past the halfway point of the regular season, and JB's got his fingers up there showing me that I need to say, you are watching season 16 of In the Huddle. 
Well, can't wait for your 30,000-foot view of last week based on how well we did with our predictions. Uh, there were some good games for sure. Uh, some games that we thought would be close weren't necessarily, too. Hi, Bellhaven. Thanks for playing. Um, so, you know, yeah, well. go ahead. Take it away. 30,000-foot view before we get into crunch time, sir. Well, the thing that keeps popping back into my head with the real major kickstart to some conference play and some big conference games and some upsets and things we just didn't see coming is when it comes to these non well, when it comes to these conference games, just expect the unexpected. Anything can happen. Any team can win on any given Saturday. So even when the quote unquote experts who um, were only getting one or two teams wrong every week miss more than half um you know that's uh that tells you that that something is afoot and honestly that makes the that makes the season a little more interesting right because now there's going to be potentially some new entrants into the playoff race potentially so i mean if if Bellhaven, for instance can hang on to run run the table in the usa south they'll get into the playoffs and we haven't seen them out in that field before and you know, given what's going on in the Southeast, there's a lot of good teams uh, they could be potentially paired up with and either as a home or an away team, depending on if they're undefeated or not. And the undefeated thing is getting harder and harder to come by. There's every week they just keep checking them off. Another one bites the dust and eventually it'll come down to the 28 teams that win their pool A. And then it's going to be really difficult to figure out what's going to happen in pool C, especially if some teams named Whitewater are sitting out there. If they don't win, their conference, again, that could be bad for lots of other teams across the nation because they played an outstanding schedule. Even if they finish 8-2, and two, Frank, I think that they could still make the playoffs because of who they've scheduled, and they could get picked over 9-1 and one and maybe even some other teams uh, that could have a good case from other regions. So great win uh, for lacrosse. It wasn't a game that you and I saw working out that way. And it's a bad loss for the rest of the Pool C world because Whitewater is going to be 1A or 1B, depending on what happens with them in River Falls. Of course, if they beat River Falls, it's all through the window, and who knows what's going to happen. So <laughs> this is why we do this. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a huge game. Uh, definitely, I'm going to assume Pat Coleman's going to be covering that one uh, this weekend, but I'll yeah. check on that later. Uh, but, you know, let's first talk about how we got here in the first place. That means we're going to go through mm -hmm. crunch time. For week six of the 2023 Division Three college football season. We'll start in Region 1 in the MAC, Leval at Widener. The halftime score was 10 to 3 Leval, and after three quarters, 10 to 6 Leval. But in the fourth quarter, 57 seconds into it, Deion Bryan gets a four-yard touchdown run for Leval to make it 17-6. Then, 9-14 left, Widener's Bryce Casey gets a 14-yard touchdown pass from Chase, Chase Deal, 17-14. For those wondering, Bryce Casey uh, received that hit. It was Dean targeting, and the player that delivered it was ejected. Fourth quarter, we're going to fast forward to six seconds left. Ryan Pattison, 40-yard field goal is good and so widener ties this game at 17 apiece we're going to overtime let val up first braden bohan and the 25 yard touchdown run in one play makes it 24 to 17. widener sean thompson though responds with a 17 yard touchdown run 24 apiece now we'll go to second overtime 
Ryan Patterson, we talked about him just a bit ago. This time from 41 yards, he is no good. It opens the door for Lev Val, and Tim Kissinger gets this 20-yard field goal. That does it. The final score, 27-24 in favor of Lev Val. Wagner outgained Lev Val, 412 to 295 in yardage. The Lev Val defense forced four turnovers and five sacks. And Alex uh, Vassallo, or Vassallo, I guess, is uh, eight receptions, 129 yards, and one receiving touchdown for Val. Then also in Region 1, we have Wesleyan at Colby. And another good game here. First quarter, 10-30 left. Chase Wilson, a one-yard touchdown pass from Nico Candido. He makes it 6-0, Wesleyan, as the kick failed. 3.55 left first quarter. Colby's Jack Sawyer, a nine-yard touchdown pass from Thomas Keeling. That made it 7-6 Colby. The halftime score would be 10-6 Colby. Third quarter, 3.23 left. Wesleyan's Chase Wilson gets an 18-yard touchdown pass from Nico Candido. I love the name. 13-10 in favor of Wesleyan. But Colby's uh, Christian Zomakis makes a 31-yard field goal to make it 13-13. Wesleyan still has a chance. They get the ball back with 2.01 left. They attempt a field goal with virtually no time left, and the 37-yard field goal is blocked by Will Nippon, and that would send us into overtime. Colby in overtime has Thomas Keeling uh, passing complete to Jack Sawyer for 25 yards and a touchdown. So that's putting the pressure here on Wesleyan. Fourth and goal from the Colby 7. Candina will throw. Will fire across the middle, low, it's incomplete, and Colby wins in overtime. Nico Candido incomplete to Liam Kennedy, and he can't believe it. The teams can't believe it. Well, some can, obviously. They're running in to celebrate as the final score was 20-13 in favor of Colby. Jack Sawyer, seven receptions, 129 yards, and two receiving touchdowns for Colby. Nico Candido of Wesleyan, 13 for 30, 158 yards, two passing touchdowns. Region 1, a little light on highlights, but not light on other scores. JB, take it away. Yeah, and even though I think you and I thought that maybe Widener would pull off the proverbial upset and, and defeat Leval, who's still undefeated in the MAC, we were wrong. And in general, Region 1, what you can see looking down through all the scores, most of the favorites, pretty much all the favorites, seem to win over the weekend. Starting on Friday night, Bridgewater stayed unbeaten in the MASCAC with a 35-7 win over Worcester State. DelVal, Stevenson, Springfield all won pretty comfortably. Alfred State took on Independent Lion in an interesting Region 1 versus 3 game. I mean, Lion is independent, but they sit down in, in Region 3 technically from a geographic perspective. Another game here that I know we spoke about in our Friday preview was this Forum Kings Mac matchup. FDU coming up a field goal short against Kings. Definitely an interesting game there. Could have some impact on the Mac Centennial Bowls later on in the year, but a nice win for the Monarchs. Framingham State wins big. Also, Salve Regina. They remain unbeaten in the, in the new Mac. It seems like a collision course between them and Springfield. We'll see. Gallaudet Hilbert, we mentioned earlier, that was the AT&T helmet debut game. Um, a lot of coverage on that with d3football.com, but a, a nice win for the Bison, who hopefully will find a home at some point in the near future. Misericordia, uh, Curry, Amherst, Merchant Marine all won. Trinity, Connecticut uh, remains undefeated in the NESCAC with the Wesleyan game. I think at this point, Trinity is the last standing undefeated team, so the NESCAC is theirs to lose theoretically. We'll see what happens. Middlebury edges Williams in a wet and rainy 12-10 game. SUNY Maritime clips WPI 28-21. 
Western New England, Mass Dartmouth, Western Connecticut, and Tufts also win their games, and that's Region 1 for you. So let's move on to Region 2, and I'm going to tell you about the game I attended, Ithaca at RPI. 120 left in the first quarter. This was a uh, turnover fest in the first half, honestly, for RPI. But Gil Goldsmith gets a 22-yard touchdown pass from Jake Kazanowski to give RPI the 7-0 lead. Second quarter, 6-11 left. Jalen Leonard Osborne, a 19-yard touchdown pass from Julian Demega. But uh, note that this was kind of a little razzle-dazzle play there, as it was A.J. Wingfield uh, throwing it over uh, before uh, that ultimate pass. 10-7, Ithaca took the lead there. We were scoreless in the third quarter uh, as the rain came down. It began to dissipate in the fourth quarter, 9.05 left, and Sean Kelly gets his 9-yard touchdown pass from Jake Kazanowski. 14-10, RPI had the lead. RPI gets the ball back, and here's a key moment. They had a chance to kick a field goal on fourth and one, though. They go for it and fumble the snap. Ithaca claims the ball, and that would thwart that threat to take a two-possession lead, potentially, for RPI. So Ithaca then, on third and five, as they're going down to the RPI 29-yard line, A.J. Wingfield takes a hit, and he is injured here, at least temporarily. He had to get off the field for a play. But he comes back with 51 seconds left. He finds Jalen Leonard Osborne for a seven-yard touchdown pass in the back of the end zone. 17-14 Ithaca. Later, though, 51 seconds later, in fact, RPI's Jared Elstein with a 39-yard field goal to tie the game. Guess what? We're going to overtime. My first overtime game in 32 games on the road in two seasons, believe it or not. RPI in overtime. I had a 4th and 29, essentially, and Jared Elstein's field goal attempt for 46 yards is no good. It's blocked, and that gives an opportunity here for Ithaca. Derek Balden gets the field goal to go, and that would do it. Ithaca wins 20-17 in overtime. A.J. Wingfield, 202 total yards, one passing touchdown and an interception. Anthony D'Agostino for RPI, game-high 18 tackles in an interception, my goodness. We're gonna to go to the Rowan uh, CN, TCNJ game and just tell you essentially about this one play, which is the Hail Mary, as uh, TCNJ kind of uh, got rid of their uh, other footage availability. Three receivers in trips on the left side, one to the right. Myers looking to throw towards the end zone, up to Spinello, who makes the catch, bobbled up in the air, caught by Martin, who makes the catch! Touchdown, Rowan! And you'll see another angle of it here. It's an incredible play, and the 30-yard touchdown gave the win to Rowan 9-7 over TCNJ. Shane Martin from Rowan, five receptions, 55 yards, one receiving touchdown. The game winner as time expired, Trevor Bopp for TCNJ. It's uh, 277 total yards, one rushing touchdown, and an interception. Finally, in Region 2 in highlights, it's CNU at Dickinson. Second quarter, 6-10 left. CNU's Gunnar White, a 29-yard touchdown pass from Connor Berry. Got to apologize, Connor, because he's really the uh, QB of choice for CNU this season. Doing a great job. Has his team up 14-0 at this point. But Dickinson comes back. A minute 28 left in the first half. Devlin McCool, four-yard touchdown pass from Presley Egbers. Remember him from Randolph-Macon? He transferred. And now he's leading his team in the comeback surge. 14-7 they trailed. Dickinson, though, in the third quarter, 250 into it. Bobby Markey, a six-yard touchdown pass from Presley Egbers. It ties the game at 14 apiece. Fourth quarter, 642 left. Connor Berry, a one-yard touchdown run for the captains. 21-14 is the lead for Christopher Newport. 
Fourth quarter, though, continues with minute 30 left. Deontay Ball with a six-yard touchdown run makes it 21-21. Dickinson forces us into overtime. Christopher Newport's Ryan Castle gets his 23-yard field goal. 24-21 Christopher Newport, but Dickinson doesn't match them. They beat them as Bobby Markey gets a 14-yard touchdown pass from Presley Eckbers. 27-24, Dickinson wins this overtime game as Egbers gets 16 for 28, 221 yards, three passing touchdowns, and two interceptions. Gunner White on CNU, 21 rushes, 102 yards, one rushing touchdown. Really interesting to see Presley Egbers, JB, back in effect this time with Dickinson. Kind of a far cry from Randolph-Macon in terms yeah. of geography, but uh, he is doing well for them, and... They have a chance to make some noise still in the Centennial, despite all the you know kerfuffle about the whole Franklin and Marshall game the previous week. The win is the win, and they are winning still. Yeah, I yeah, know. The Red Devils have looked pretty good this season, and they continue finding ways to win a couple of these tight games. And we'll talk maybe a little bit more about it in this episode or the next, but the Centennial is really shaping up to having one of the most exciting last four or five weeks of the season so more on that in a little bit and then jumping into other scores in region two uh we had hopkins speaking of the centennial hopkins won on friday night 49 to 28 Keyst keystone well 69 to nothing susquehanna with a big win there same thing with Cortland. Uh, a game for the what we thought might be the empire eight championship ended up being a pretty one-sided affair so uh, congratulations to the Dragons. I'm sure Utica will be uh, picking themselves off the mat after that one and, and be back at it. But Muhlenberg wins big. So does Grove City, or as well as Moravian in a landmark matchup. Frank, your uh, Dutchman Chargers, Garnet, whatever we want to call them, had me a little nervous there. 21-17, to 17, they had to kind of hold off a resurgent Rochester Yellow Jackets uh, team there. Interesting, interesting situation because the Union defense hadn't really allowed any touchdowns for most of the season. And Rochester scores 17, so something to keep an eye on. Case Western blanks St. Vincent, Brockport. I mean, really, maybe the the, the Empire Championship is basically between Brockport and and, uh, and and Cortland. Look at these points that both of these offenses can put up. Montclair State gets a win over Kane. William Patterson loses to Salisbury 36-19. Westminster wins 42-7. Hobart takes care of Buff State 45-21. Franklin and Marshall squeaks by your sinus 20-16. Wilkes takes takes a 48-35 win over Waiko. And Washington and Jefferson kind of had to hang in there against Allegheny, which was surprising, 35-28. Uh, Alfred clips Morrisville 14-10. And man, in the nightcap, Carnegie Mellon <laughs> drops 80 points. On, on our uh, friends at the Tomcats. Uh, big uh, big offensive output there. That was the most total points scored over the weekend, Frank, 102. Um, lots, of, lots of offense there. Believe Allegheny and Grove City line up next. Uh, and so Grove City better become aware that Allegheny's That's got right. a little bit of potency there. So we'll see how that goes. Let's go to Region 3 here. Uh, for Yes, they can. <laughs> unintentional, folks. Unintentional there. Yes, uh, drive home safely. Uh, third, uh, Region 3, I will call this, uh, Huntingdon at Bellhaven. And 6.04 left in the first quarter in this USA South big-time matchup. It's Colby Blunt with a 48-yard touchdown run. Ultimately, uh, they go for two after a penalty made it 8-0 Bellhaven. First play of the second quarter, 
uh, you'll see here that Carson Daniel is intercepted by Landry Huddleston of Bellhaven, and that led to, and basically 12 plays later, Tim Johnson getting a two-yard touchdown run four and a half minutes into the second quarter. Bellhaven led 15-0. Second quarter, 6.08 left. Bellhaven's Colby Blunt, a 19-yard touchdown run, 22-0. Bellhaven led there. 29-3 was the final in favor of Bellhaven. Kobe Blunt, 16 rushes, 225 yards, and two rushing touchdowns. Bellhaven's offense, 411 net rushing yards. And Carson Daniel, 96 pass yards and a touchdown. We will tell you only about Harden Simmons McMurray briefly here and give you the box. And essentially what happened in uh, this game, the second half got pretty much uh, unusable of the video. So we would love to have shown you how we got to an overtime situation in this game that Harden Simmons pulled out. Uh, they were kicking a field goal to tie it 16-16, to took the points off the board after a leaping penalty, and ultimately get a touchdown in overtime to beat McMurray in overtime, 19-16. to And A.J. Hawkins for HSU had 269 total yards, one passing touchdown. Christopher Martin for McMurray, two receptions, 86 yards, one receiving touchdown, but definitely a concern of a game for Harden Simmons. Yes, on the road, yeah. but they should have probably won this game by much more. And these injuries are clearly affecting the Cowboys. Yeah, definitely. And it certainly kind of raises the stakes on what's going to happen in the AFC if, if Harden Simmons really isn't at, at full strength. Maybe that means a easier road to the title for Mary Harden Baylor, but we'll have to wait and see elsewhere. And in, in Region 3, uh, Trinity and Randolph-Macon win pretty comfortably. Just talked about UMHB. They they beat Texas Lutheran 55 to 21. Barry wins big 52 to 10. Hamden Sydney wins 48-10. Brevard continuing to win in the in the South. Maybe they can be a challenge to uh, to Bellhaven. We'll have to wait and see. Maryville wins 35 to 7. North Carolina Wesleyan wins 35 to 14. A lot of 35s here on the board today. Uh, Howard Payne wins 28 to 14. Sol Ross State 49-7. Rhodes takes down Millsaps 37-7. And Birmingham Southern with a little bounce back game. We were kind of nervous about our, our friends there um, in, in Birmingham, but they, they managed to, to quell a, a rising tiger, you know, tied 38-32. And Bridgewater takes out Shenandoah 24-10. And then finally, uh, Washington Lee takes on and wins 48-25 over Guilford. And finally, Washington Lee wins 48-25 to over Guilford in a ODAC game. Thank you, sir. Now, here's my chance to talk a lot because we have six games to uh, give highlights for in regions four yeah. through six. So, away we go. First, we'll start with the highlight game, lacrosse at Whitewater. Halftime score was 17-14, lacrosse leading. Third quarter, 6.40 left. Lacrosse's Ryan Bartal gets a seven-yard touchdown pass from Zach Weir to make it 24-14 lacrosse. The next play, though, was a 75-yard Elijah Mayer-Parr run for a touchdown for Whitewater. 24-20, again, is the lead for uh, lacrosse, so only four points. Third quarter, 2.05 left. Lacrosse bounces back as Michael Stack gets a 44-yard field goal. 27-20, lacrosse leads. First play of fourth quarter, Wyatt Lemoyne, a 20-yard touchdown pass from Kaiser Helterbrand. 34-20, lacrosse led. This is where JB, of course, texted me that lacrosse was going to win the game, so naturally there'll be a comeback by Whitewater. 8-10 left. And it's Stephen Hine, a 12-yard touchdown pass from Alec Ogden. 
34-26, Lacrosse's lead is shrunken to eight points as the conversion was no good. And then 5.53 left in the fourth quarter. Elijah Mayer-Parr, 64-yard touchdown pass from Alec Ogden. The two-point conversion was good. It tied the game at 34 apiece. 13 seconds left, though. Watch this fourth and one play. It's a no-huddle shotgun. Kaiser Heltebrand rushing up the middle for three yards and a first down to the 34-yard line. That set up this Michael Stack 51-yard field goal. And it was good. Lacrosse wins on that 51-yard field goal with no time on the clock, 37-34. Kaiser Helterbrand, 213 total yards, two rushing touchdowns. Elijah Mar uh, Mayer Parr, I got to get that right because he's doing well, one rushing and one receiving touchdown. Kicker Michael Stack, three for three on field goals, including the 51-yard game winner. Next up, we'll move uh, to another Wisconsin game, Oshkosh at Stout. Stout was up 14-6 when Patrick Corcoran gets a 90-yard kickoff return for Stout to make it a 20-6 lead over Oshkosh. 4.04 left in the second quarter, though. I probably should speak slower and let that kickoff return finish here before I tell you that Ben Carls gets a 5-yard touchdown pass from Mitch Wachter. And it's 30-13 at that point in favor of Stout. Second quarter, though, not over yet. London Little, 15-yard touchdown pass from Kobe Berghammer makes it 30-20 as Oshkosh tries to come back. They'll take that comeback into the third quarter. 8-20 left. Again, London Little, 11 yards from Kobe Berghammer. 30-27 now. Oshkosh trailing by three. Stout bounces back. A minute left, third quarter. Matt Pamitlo gets a one-yard touchdown run to make it 37-27, Stout leading. Fourth quarter, two minutes into it, Cade Euler, an 11-yard touchdown pass from Berghammer, 37-34. Oshkosh, though, gets the equalizer. Minute 53 left, Nolan Mobley, a 32-yard field goal is good, 37 apiece. Then Luke Cool attempts a field goal for Stout from 44 yards out. It's no good. We'd go to overtime. The team's traded field goals in the first overtime, so we'll skip to OT2. It's K.O. Harn, a 16-yard touchdown pass from Kobe Burkhammer for Oshkosh, taking a 48-40 lead because this London Little pass attempt was successful. 48-40 Oshkosh. So Stout has some work to do. Mitch Wachter, a 6-yard touchdown run, 48-46. But the pass attempt to him is no good. Oshkosh comes back and wins in overtime, 48-46. They trailed 30-20 at the half. Berghammer, 571 total yards, five passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. And Matt, uh, I apologize for butchering your name, buddy. Uh, Pamitlo, I want to say, if I get another chance at it, 19 rushes, 112 yards, three rushing touchdowns. And we'll talk more about Kobe Berghammer. I have a funny feeling later on in this show. Let's move to John Carroll at Marietta. First quarter, 313 left. Brennan Fugue for John Carroll gets a 15-yard touchdown pass from Joe Collins. It's 21-0, John Carroll. This is over. Well, no, of course not. It's on crunch time. It can't be over yet. So in the second quarter, Marietta starts staging a comeback. 12-34 left. It's Jay Melchiori, a 21-yard touchdown pass from Connor Veerstra to make it 21-7. Then later in the first half, 49 seconds left, Dawson Snyder, a 12-yard touchdown pass from Veerstra, makes it 21-14. 
John Carroll would get a third quarter field goal, but then Marietta would respond one more time. 3.57 left third quarter. Dawson Snyder again from Veerstrad, this time from nine yards out, makes a 24-21 JCU leading. John Carroll would bounce back. 5.41 left fourth quarter. Lucas DiRazio gets a 48-yard touchdown pass from Joe Collins to make a 31-21 in favor of John Carroll. Fourth quarter, 2.21 left, though. Marietta's Dawson Snyder, a two-yard touchdown pass from Connor Veerstra. It's 31-28, still JCU's lead. Marietta would get the ball back after missing out on the onside kick attempt. They'd have 159 to try to win or equalize. First and 10, though. Veerstra sacked for a nine-yard loss. And then eventually, 4th and 34, because of an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty as well. Veerstra is incomplete to Dre Baldwin, and that would do it. John Carroll hangs on, 31-28. Veerstra, 424 total yards, 4 passing touchdowns, 2 interceptions for Marietta. Brennan Fugue for JCU, 3 receptions, 60 yards, 2 receiving touchdowns. Halfway home in regions 4 through 6, let's go to Albion and Hope. 135 left, first quarter. Hope's Chance Strickland gets a one-yard touchdown run to give Hope hope at 7-0. Second quarter, 17 seconds left in the first half. Travis Myers, 13-yard touchdown pass from Zach Trainer, 14-3, Hope leads. We'll go to third quarter, 141 left. Albion's Logan Rewinski, it's a 46-yard field goal. That's good, 14-6 now in favor of Hope. Albion would get the ball back eventually with 140 left. Fourth and three, though, from the Hope 26. And you'll see that Luke Lovell is incomplete, looking for Dylan Dennison. And it was broken up by Brady Howe. And that's how the game essentially would end. The final score, Hope wins 14-6 over Albion. Zach Trainer, 11 for 17, 184 yards, one passing touchdown. Luke Lovell, or Lovell, excuse me, 20 for 39, 207 yards for Albion. Let's also go to St. Olaf at Carlton, a game that's actually somewhat important in the Mayak. Ten minutes into the game, Carlton's Nick Toole gets a two-yard touchdown run to give Carlton a 13-0 lead. Then with five seconds left in the first half, Jack Huffman gets a 25-yard touchdown pass from Jack Curtis, 23-10, Carlton still leading here. After halftime, midway through the third quarter, it's St. Olaf's Asher Zubik, with a one-yard touchdown run, 23-17, still Carlton's lead. Carlton would extend their lead one more time. Two minutes later, Rye stores a 14-yard 14 14-yard touchdown pass from Jack Curtis, 30-17, Carlton. But Saint Olaf bounces back. 3:57 left in the third quarter. Theo Doran a one-yard touchdown run, 30-24. Then in the fourth quarter. A 21-play drive that would 98 yards over 941 is completed by Theo Duran's one-yard touchdown run, and that would ultimately give a 31-30 lead to St. Olaf. There was 3.50 left for Carlton. They couldn't cross midfield, but did get the ball back near midfield with 145 left in this game. With 23 seconds left, they called on Marcus Merkelbach for a 30-yard field goal. The kick is up and it is! Good! 23 seconds to go! Carlton 33, St. Olaf 31. And then one last chance here. You'll see Theo Duran uh, completes the pass, but it's well short, obviously, and time expires. Carlton wins the game 33 31 over St. Olaf. Jack Curtis, 339 total yards for Carlton, three passing touchdowns. Theo Duran, two rushing and one passing touchdowns. Finally, we go to 
D3 after dark. Pomona Pitzer at Redlands. Second quarter, 123 left to Sage Hens. Uh, Joaquin Valdez gets a three-yard touchdown pass from Nick Kim to make it 10-0. Pomona Pitzer leading. Third quarter, 403 left. Redlands, Tyler Tremaine with a four-yard touchdown run makes it 10-7, still the Sage Hens lead. Redlands will get a chance with 5-11 left. On the 14th play of the drive, though, this field goal attempt is blocked by the Sage Hens. And they give the block officially to George Cutting. Uh, big play there. And look at this. This is the end of the game. Three seconds left. The ball's inside the one-yard line, and they're attempting a kneel down from Mona Pitzer. And it's a safety. Now, oddly enough, they're going to say that three seconds expire from the clock, so the safety counts, 10-9, to Pomona Pitzer leads, but the game is over, and there's no chance at the free kick. Pomona Pitzer wins the game 10-9. I'm not so sure about that call. Redlands probably deserve at least the ensuing kickoff or something, but they did not get that. And here we go with Nick Kim from Pomona Pitzer. 15 for 20, 178 yards, one passing touchdown. Redlands defense held Pomona Pitzer to minus 43 rush yards and that safety you just saw. JB, a little weirdness there, but a lot of scores to go through elsewhere in regions four through six. Yeah, no, definitely. It was a lot of games in the basically the other half of the country and we'll do our best to go through this quickly. Um, a lot of the big favorites at the top of the of the of the top 25 number one north central number two mount union number three wartburg number four now um river falls all won pretty convincingly st john's took care of uh, concordia moorhead 42 to 23. linfield stays undefeated out in oregon wheaton wins big 61 to 6 and aurora holy smokes the most points and I think potentially this whole season, a 91 to nothing drubbing of, of Concordia, uh, Chicago. The, uh, the Spartans are really uh, doing some, some major things offensively this season. Hanover, Wittenberg, as well as Trine and, and DePaul win. The, the, that, that game for the Tigers with Denison was as, as advertised. We talked a little bit about that on Friday and, and seemed to be a little bit of a closer call, but the Tigers prevail. Um, Westminster defeats Martin Luther. Rose Holman wins 44-7. Mount St. Joe's, Franklin, Ohio Wesleyan, and Wabash all get wins. The uh, Little Giants are still technically undefeated in Division Three. They do have that one loss to FCS Butler, but for all intents and purposes, they are one of the few undefeated teams out there. Seems to be on a crash course uh, for that Week 11 Montembeau game. Olivet, Gustavus, as well as Concordia, Wisconsin, win along with St. Norbert. Central ripping with a, a close one, 10 to three over Knox. Coe takes care of Buna Vista. Made sure I got that one right. And Augustana with an impressive 42 to three win over Milliken. They're going to play Wash U this weekend. Big game in the CCIW. More on that on Friday. Wisconsin Lutheran, North Park, Illinois College, uh, Dubuque, and Osberg win their games. There's Wash U again, winning 38 to 10. Um, in the in the WEAC, we got Platteville taking care of Stevens Point, 51 to 10. Lake Forest put up 722 yards in this 76 to nothing drubbing of Lawrence on their homecoming. I don't know, maybe uh, Coach Cat's appearance just inspired this the Foresters, Frank. <laughs> what a what an offensive output they had, and Monmouth also uh, scored a lot of points too, almost as many as Lake Forest, 69 to six in their win over Grinnell. We had Northwestern of Minnesota. Cornell of Iowa, notice all these little subtle 
add-ons here. <laughs> Whitworth also um, staying undefeated out in the NWC, quietly having a uh, undefeated season there, something to keep an eye on once they get around to playing Linfield, of course. Uh, Pack Lutheran, uh, Puget Sound edges George Fox. That was an interesting result. Bethel in, an, in a late game wins 49 to 14 over McAllister. And here, look at here, Chapman um, not, takes down Claremont Mudscripts. And the interesting thing that's going on in the Skyac, Frank, is that the the leaders like Claremont and, and Redlands both lost this past weekend. So now there's multiple teams with losses in that conference. How that wouldn't will shake out, we'll have to wait and see. Cal Lutheran, the last score, 55, nothing over Laverne. Laverne hasn't won any games, so um, no real surprise there. But this is the Skyac's gonna be interesting. You've got four of the six teams in in the running there that have a two and one conference record. And um, you know, it's gonna be crazy how that all plays out. One correction, uh, the most points scored this season was by Coast Guard, 93 points. Aurora is number two right now. Um, points scored by a single team in a single game this D3 season. It's still a lot. I don't care what you say. And that was crunch time for week six of the Division Three college football season. Yeah, I guess what I should have said, Frank, is that by the margin of victory might have been the largest. 91 points seems like <laughs> yeah, that's lot true. To me. I know that at least yeah. in the in the Coast Guard game where they scored 93, their opponent did uh, Anna Maria did at least put up you know, some some bit of more of a fight. But um, as usually is the time in this part of the show, I like to uh, shout out my MVPs. And this week I'm gonna kind of go from. I guess right to left. So I know that Jay Connolly got a lot of kudos for his two interception performance in the RPI win, but Derek's like a, a, a fifth year defensive back, had 10 tackles, but more importantly, Frank, he was the guy who got his hand on the field goal that was blocked. And so maybe you could say it was a special teams play. I wanted to give him a shout out here as a, as a defensive MVP because that was just as big as any of those interceptions or other tackles that were made in that game made a big difference. And, and at this point could be helping you know, Ithaca along the way to a potentially second uh, Liberty League title. We'll see. But speaking of special teams, you have to give it to the guy who kicked a 51 yard field goal to beat uh, Whitewater on the road. I mean, just an impressive performance by this young man, only a sophomore. Michael Stack gets my special teams MVP for that amazing performance. And then for the second time this season, Kobe Berghammer, almost 600 yards of offense, six total touchdowns. This guy was unbelievable in a game that his team really needed to win. I mean, they're uh, they're hanging in there. They're still fighting to be in the in the top part of, of the WEAC. They could be uh, an Isthmus Bowl. Um, bull bid you know pick on the line there so a uh, great job by by kobe and the titans and so there's my week six mvps uh and one thing i just this the next slide <laughs> yeah well good point uh we're tied okay there there's the upshot of this whole thing we're, we're tied. not tied yeah, yeah. so new, new season we're oh and oh uh with uh five weeks yeah. to go in the regular season um Okay, uh, one thing about uh, Kobe Burkhamer Oshkosh, I just wish they would play more consistent football because that seems to be the bugaboo for them. One week they look splendid, the next week they, they just struggle. Yep. I can't figure out that team for the life of me. Can I name an MVP, by the way? Can Frank name one? I know yeah, that's not only in the show. Yeah. No, my my MVP is my MVP is Jen Baker, whose birthday is the day we're shooting this show on Wednesday. Happy the birthday, Queen. Jennifer. Yeah. 
She is uh, awesome. Yeah. Love her to death. I was glad to officiate your wedding with her uh, a few years back there. And uh, a little photo yeah. of her celebrating her 50th birthday party uh, this past weekend in New York. Sorry, couldn't join you guys. It just was a little bit of a problem with overtime and then the weather the way it was. just wasn't going to work out, but I'm glad sure. everybody had a great time in New York City uh, mm-hmm. with your family. Yeah, we, we could. I mean, it was, it was a beautiful weekend. I mean, yeah, it was a little rainy on Saturday, but um, we had a great time. It was nice to have, you know, four of the five kids able to be there. My, my in-laws, uh, her parents were in town. We got to visit some friends uh, from Florida who had just moved up there um, a couple of months ago and, and uh, thankfully put us up in, in their beautiful place. We were in the Flatiron area. Great time, wonderful experience, and, and um, you know, we're going to keep the celebration going. Um, more, more parties this weekend, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, let's uh, continue here. A um, couple things. Uh, you had uh, done this for last week. We never really used it, so let's look at it now. Uh, conference in Pool A leaders. And uh, just things I'll point out here, the ECFC is way too early to uh, determine because of the lack of uh, conference mm-hmm. play so far. The MASCAC is very interesting. The MAC seems to be coming down to DelVal and LeVal at this point, uh, and we'll see where that yep. lands ultimately. Salve Regina Springfield. I uh, was invited to that game, actually, I believe on the 21st. Mm. Is that not accurate? I believe uh, that I is so. looking yeah. like the potential new MAC championship of sorts, uh, you know, the de facto. Yeah. Hopkins Muhlenberg still has to play each other, but uh, as you pointed out, mm-hmm. the Centennial could have some other uh, interesting chaos in it. So let's not go too far too fast, but right now they're still the favorites. Cortland, Brockport, you named it in crunch time as probably the de facto E8 championship game coming up uh, at the beginning of November. Uh, Susquehanna seems to be the clear winner of the landmark currently, and Ithaca right now, although Union could lay claim to, we probably should have Union uh, listed there, uh, they will play this weekend, and so we'll learn a lot from that. In the NJAC, remember yep. the Christopher Newport loss doesn't count against them against Dickinson for purposes of NJAC, and so right now it looks like they're the team to beat still, but we'll see who else steps up. Grove City in the pack, uh, I, I don't know how they don't win unless they really, really drop something here. So they got to just stay alert and win games. That's it. Um, Mary Harden, Baylor Harden, Simmons. Every year in the ASC, we think it. We were beginning to doubt it uh, coming into about the midway point of the season. Well, it's still there. Randolph Macon in the ODAC looks as strong as anybody. Trinity in the SAA, they've just got to make sure they don't let one go that they should win here. That's what it's coming down to. Bellhaven's win against Huntingdon in the USAC. Uh, definitely important in region four <laughs> DePaul Wabash actually I'm sorry I, I'm uh, jumping down there uh, you're looking at the HCAC as kind of a wide open race still and it is I, I don't know what to expect really from that one either Alma and the MIAA although they have a challenge game coming up against Hope I believe it is uh, this weekend and so we'll see maybe if Hope can provide that challenge. I, I think Alma's really waiting for that big challenge this season so far. And here it comes, I think, in that game. Uh, as I said, Monon yep. Bell is going to probably determine the NCAC. Uh, and mm-hmm. Mount Union, John Carroll, at the end of the season, I believe, again. And so we'll see where that yeah. ends up. 
Region 5 has a lot of consistency of uh, we think we know what's going on. Wartburg, even though they've struggled at times, they've won games. North Central is not struggling one bit. Lake Forest is uh, having their way of things, although they could still maybe drop one and then get into that quarters one tiebreaker scenario potentially mm. too. So they got to be careful. Aurora scoring 91 points, clearly the NAC uh, leader. Uh, St. John's in yeah. Region 6 uh, in the Mayak, although remember they'll need to play a championship game, so nothing's for sure there. Linfield and Whitworth technically in the NWC, although Linfield uh, is yeah. probably the favorite by far. Uh, Skyak, God of I know, uh, in the uh, Weak, yep. River Falls, and Lacrosse right now just seem to be an interesting tandem. But don't count out Whitewater, don't count out Platteville, don't count out Oshkosh yet. Still a lot of games to be played there. Mm-hmm. And in the UMAC, good luck to you figuring that one out, folks. What's your uh, quick takeaways <laughs> on this list? You know, I think a lot of it is uh, the usual suspects, but we do have, like I said, a, a few potential new names on the board like Bridgewater State, like Salve Regina, uh, potentially Muhlenberg, who had missed the playoffs last year. Maybe they come back. Uh, Brockport, same kind of thing. Um, Christopher Newport, Grove City, uh, Bellhaven. I mean, so there's definitely some some new faces that are that are starting to um, you know get into this playoff race. So that'll make the the playoff selection and ultimately the tournament itself, I think pretty interesting. We'll have to wait and see what transpires over the next few weeks. This is kind of what we think is, is the leaderboard, but you never know. Things can change on a dime and uh, just have to wait and see how the games play out. Two questions from our friends out in Twitter land or X land now. Uh, who are your uh, top four seeds? If not in your top four, uh, which uh, Region 1, Region 2 team is most deserving and why? Uh, that's uh, Antoine Cuff, Cuffy Cakes, uh, asking that. Tough one here. It, it, it's really tough to name your top four based yeah. on some of the things going on. I mean, River Falls could be one of them right now uh, as much as anybody, but we really haven't seen them play sure. in – you know, a situation where beyond that first game against UMHB, we have a confidence level in them. I mean, we're confident they're a good team with all those players they have back, but, you know, I would put them up there, obviously. Uh, St. John's has not impressed me, and so I'm not sure they would be one of my top four right now. Uh, Look, North Central, Mount Union, okay, those are de factos. Um, Trinity, I think at full strength is one of the best teams in the country right now. Call me crazy on that one. And then yeah. from there, it's wide open. I mean, it could be lacrosse, could be River Falls. I think one of the Wisconsin teams is clearly one of the top four teams of the country. It's just a question of how it plays out. And with respect to top region one, region two team, I'm going to give an edge right now uh, to Johns Hopkins still. I put them back above Muhlenberg after some of the things that have played out over the last couple of weeks. Uh, not by far uh, on that. But I, I think right now I'm going to give Hopkins a slight edge as the strongest team in Regions 1 and 2. Although Cortland is coming back. Brockport's looking good right now, catching fire. So uh, there are a lot of good teams in Region 2. And obviously Endicott in Region 1 uh, has a lot to say about things after what they did to Harden-Simmons. What about your top four? Yeah, well, I think North Central and, and Mount Union are sort of pretty easy ones to check off the list, right? I mean, especially North Central looks like they're just 
demolishing everybody that no one has a chance to beat those guys. So we'll have to wait and see if anyone can even give them a game at this point. But um, the other two, I mean, last when you think of the, the tournament last season, you had St. John's as the sort of the overall number one, which was interesting because they were 9-1 and one technically. And then you also had uh, Mount Union down on the other side of the bracket, so maybe they were the four seed, and that was probably because their SOS was in the mid-range because of the way the OAC is set up. You had North Central up here, and then down here you had a 10-0 Trinity team. Now, we're not going to have a 10-0 Trinity team this season, but I could see potentially a 9-1 um, Trinity team get a one seed based on who they played and who they beat, especially if Barry can stay in the, in the top 25 and keep winning their games convincingly. Now, the Huntington loss to Bellhaven hurts their resume a little bit. They might It might ding them from pool C considerations. I hope the, the committee doesn't look at it that way, but you never know. Um, they certainly took the Tigers to, to the mat. It was a, a great classic game that I had a front row seat to see. So I think that's a playoff worthy team, but I agree with you, Frank, when it comes to the, um, you know, when it comes to region two, Hopkins is a team that could arguably potentially work their way up into a, at least a two seed, you know, maybe be matched with a, a number one because they still have to play Franklin and Marshall. Who's four and one. They have to play an undefeated Muhlenberg. They have, um, your sinus on their schedule, who is, I think, three and two, and they have Dickinson, who's also four and one. And so their strength of schedule, when they go through all that, if they win all those games and win all those games convincingly, they're already ranked 12th in uh, strength of schedule nationally. That number is just going to go up, and their, their strength of schedule is better than Wartburg's. It's going to be better than some of the other teams that are in that um, you know, four or five range in the national poll, plus a couple of these one loss teams. So maybe you could make an argument that you could build a bracket around the Hopkins. Although last season we had a 10-0 Ithaca team that was clearly paired with North Central as the two in that you know, bracket. But I think if there, if there was a team in, in Region 2, it's probably Hopkins based on what they have coming up. Okay, and also we had a uh, late question here from Rambo's Carving Knife, uh, and uh, that is buy, sell, or hold. The CCIW is the most improved conference from last season. North Park's best season in decades. Augustine, a possible Isthmus uh, contender. Washu crack coaches top 25. Big deal. Uh, sorry. <laughs> As a voter in uh, D3 footballs, I, I roll my eyes sometimes at that one. Uh, Wheaton is Wheaton. Uh, NCC is Tecmo. Uh, stronger uh, middle teams. Carroll is also solid. I don't know here. I mean, we have we have a homer obviously asking this question. Sorry, buddy. I I, I know you're a big uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. North Central guy, <laughs> and CCIW as a result of it. Um, it. It's tough to judge certain things because of some of the changes that have happened in other conferences. So measuring the Centennial against the Centennial is tough to do because the Centennial kind of got rid of a lot of the bottom of its weight, except for Susquehanna, uh, in this whole process. Uh, Liberty League, honestly, looking at their out-of-conference record this season, that might be it. But then you also have to look at the quality of wins. And it's a little bit t tough to give full credence to some of those games. I mean, Union didn't play what I would call a you know, tremendous out-of-conference schedule. Let, let's just flat out say that. Montclair wasn't who they're supposed to be at that point. Uh, you know, the Lancers, uh, Hilbert, I mean, that's just stuff that probably didn't help matters. So I'm going to say a reserved sell, though not necessarily a horrible thought by you. 
I just, I think the CCIW, I'm going to make an interesting statement here, and I'm going to get hate mail for this one, I'm sure, but I'm going to say it. Right now, Mount Union is better than uh, North Central in my book, and I'm beginning to think about what I'm doing with my ballot because look at the defense going on with Mount Union right now. And sure, their offense needs to score better. I don't know what the consistency issue is going on there with the offense, but you look at the defense in the numbers of points being scored because they are giving up points North Central in the process. Yeah, they're scoring 70 plus. And maybe it's a product, maybe, of the defense not getting any rest as they're trying to go to the sideline. And so it's starting to wear on them a little bit in uh, the first halves of games or whatever. But right now, in terms of the scores, I'm beginning to think about what this all means. That North Central is, you know, they beat Wheaton by, I would call it 20 plus at the end of the day, okay? I, I understand that game wasn't that close. It wasn't a 19 point game. Uh, but they did give up points. They did, did give up touchdowns. They gave up touchdowns this past week to uh, Carroll as well, okay? Is that Carroll doing well, or is that a result of the North Central defense not playing as well this year? I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that Mount Union's defense, holy cow, still, you know, as advertised. And that's necessary as they kind of have some squeakers of halves that they've been playing offensively. Uh, they need that. So defense to me wins championships right now. I'm beginning to wonder who the better team of the two is and what it's telling me about the CCIW as a conference right now. It's not a question of North Central not being battle-tested. It's just a question of you got two really, 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 really good teams. And so I'm looking at who's the better of those two teams based on the stats that are coming out of these games. What's your thoughts? Wow. Um, yeah, when I think about the the most improved conference, I mean, I guess you could make an argument for the CCIW because Augustana is better and North Park is better. And a lot of these Midwestern conferences, for the most part, are typically, you know, like a one or one and two, and then the rest they just destroy. Uh, but there seems to be a little more, um, you know, competitive equity going on there. But like you said, I mean, and in Greg Thomas's um, Round the Nation article, I mean, the Liberty League had the best out-of-conference record overall, um, and neither them nor the OAC really had a, a great sort of, there was no real major, I mean, even in Greg's article, the OAC's best win was like Marietta over St. John Fisher by like a couple of touchdowns or two or three touchdowns. So Marietta's better and they, they almost beat John Carroll, which was kind of surprising. So uh, I don't, I wouldn't say that the OAC, I mean, it seems like the OAC is sort of the same situation. You got Mountain Union and everybody else. Um, so yeah, I'd be sort of torn between, you know, I'd probably say a hold. Uh, let's wait and see what happens. Uh, I mean, Wheaton beating Oshkosh got my attention, but then, you know, Oshkosh went and played pretty badly and lost uh, by almost 20 points to, to Whitewater. So that, that win looked a little less, you know, exciting to me. And, and uh, the way that North Central you know, took care of that, um, there's a Why lot of inconsistency game, right now. There's yeah. just a lot of inconsistency it's hard, it's across the say. country. That's yeah, a good way to put it. Yeah. Once you think you, you... Well, no, once you peg a, a, a team or you think you pegged them, you, they go out and drop one the next week, it feels like, every time. I mean, Cortland, mm -hmm. 
in that Susquehanna game. Let's think about that. But the, then Susquehanna the previous yeah. week at Brockport type of situation. It's like there's this inconsistency to the, a lot of these teams going on right now. And, you know, looking yeah. back, we – go ahead. And, and I think actually since we're talking about Centennial, I think that ultimately is where I'm coming around to saying like the most improved conference is the Centennial because you look at That's, how good Hopkins yeah. is. Yep. That's you look how good Muhlenberg is, and then you have you know Dickinson and um, Franklin and Marshall right there. Your Sinus is right there. I mean, they have five or six teams that could probably match up. I mean, that's the thing. Like they people say, oh, they're, they're the best conference, but once you get past like the first or second team, it's like really there's nothing else that's on there that would really com- be competitive. I look at the Centennial. There's like five or six teams that have above 500 records that would probably win you know, more than 50% of the time against most of the other conferences in the country. Yeah, it, it's, like I said, it's tough to make that call because it's a different conference, respectfully now, because of what got pushed over to the yeah. landmark there. But what it did do was more or less, you know, take away the Juniata effect and, you know, a little bit more, Moravian as well, that weren't necessarily the strong mm-hmm. teams. And you got basically the t- strong teams minus Susquehanna, as I said before, still in there. And so yeah. that's that's an interesting balance that got recreated there. And so to judge it against itself last year, tough to do. That's why I, I, it was reserve sell for me. I, the Liberty League and the Centennial probably could lay claim to a lot right now as well in that. JB, that's week six. What are your final thoughts? Well, I think uh, coming up in week seven, we've got a little more interesting action happening. I know week six was a little bit light as far as what we thought were blockbuster games, but then it ended up being our picks were terrible and we were completely wrong about what we thought would happen. So we'll have to do uh, do a little more homework uh, prior to Friday. But there are some important conference games going on um, throughout the day, and so we'll just do our best to focus in on those and, and to sort of help steer the the ship as it, as it were as we kind of get into the final four weeks of the regular season it's going to get interesting and maybe at some point down the road we'll talk a little bit about our our annual whip around show the the blitzer um other stuff like that but i guess the only other question i have frank is where are you going this weekend are you going to finally take a little break and put your feet up and, and relax you've been traveling a lot lately bud so what, what's the story more on friday more on friday So until Friday, we'll see you then. Folks, be well, and we'll have a guest or two uh, for you on our live show Friday morning. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you soon. Happy birthday, honey. Happy birthday, honey.